Hello, this is Bill Curley. And Holly Hudley. And welcome to the podcast In Between, which is an educational offering of St. Paul's United Methodist Church and Ordinary Life. So one, one of the things or places where uh, I want to begin is that when we show up in Ordinary Life on Sunday, it will be three weeks since people have been exposed to what we have to say. And I have proposed to you uh, that we take this um, next Sunday, not to, to divert from our path, but maybe to, to go quite a bit deeper uh, since the petition in the Lord's Prayer that we're up to is the one that traditionally is said, either forgive us our trespasses as we forgive others of their trespasses or forgive us our debts, which is what the Presbyterians like because they're Scottish and they want to be forgiven their debts. <laughs> sure that Wait, comes hold forward. on. What does it have to do with being Scottish? I need to know. Uh, Scottish people, the the the, um, the stereotype of a Scotch person is that they're tight. Oh, I see. Okay. All right. This is my... Anyway, um, but of course, it's probably the second most mistranslated and misunderstood phrase in the prayer. It's really, um, and, and we'll get into that on, on Sunday, it, it, it's, it's really about um, releasing other people from unfair ties and bondages and things mm -hmm. like that. So we're going to talk about what it means to find freedom. And one of the places where I want to begin on Sunday is finding freedom from bad theology. Mm. I'm going to talk about Anselm. And um, I think that what I will say, although I've said it before in class, is probably a point that um, touches people um, near a religious belief that many people hold very, very dearly. And um, I have called what um, developed in the 11th century, thanks to a man named, named Anselm, the most successful piece of bad theology ever written. Yeah. And that bad piece of theology is the substitutionary theory of the atonement that Jesus died for your sins right colloquially and, called divine child abuse yeah mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. so Ansel also said that theology and I like this line but it has to be again dramatically reinterpreted for our time he said theology is faith seeking understanding and that sounds really good doesn't it mm -hmm. except mm -hmm. it does Except, but <laughs> what Ansel meant by faith is church, Christian church tradition and the Bible, not the, just any Bible, but the Vulgate Bible, because they didn't have any other translations at the time and nobody could read or very few people could read. Mm -hmm. So it would be the faith as interpreted by the church. What the church said was faith and not 
individual's experience. Mm -hmm. And um, I like the theology is faith seeking understanding if faith is uh, what my personal experience is. This is, it's so interesting. Gosh, you're, oh, so many thoughts are colliding in my brain right now. So let me try to go in order. Um, I was wrestling through a stack of articles I have next to me and the one I was looking for is not here. Um, but one of the, well, there's two pieces of sort of faith, uh, religious experience. There's the individual subjective experience of the divine, which some would call the sort of like mystical transfiguration, right? And then, and, and we in, in this country and in this context have very often focused on that individualized experience of religion, individual salvation. Um, am I pleasing enough to Jesus to be forgiven and to get my ticket into heaven? Um, but there's another narrative and that other narrative is in community. Right. So there's the individual experience of the divine and that subjectiveness. But there's also what is it for in community and that. That specifically this kind of idea that um, where we are situated, so our bodies are not separate from transcendence. It's not just kind of an ethereal experience, but can we experience transcendence in community and therefore experience freedom in a community? Now, right. now that's a very like liberatory theology, right? Mm -hmm. Can our mm -hmm. experience of the divine lead to freedom? This, uh, this was, and, and as Karen pointed out a couple of podcasts ago, well, Jesus's theology is liberatory. So why do we call it liberation theology when that's actually just what Jesus was about, right? right. Yeah, so that's one thought. Um, and I'd love to have some space to talk through that sort of individual experience of faith in the collective communal freeing experience of faith. The, so the article, I, yeah, go ahead. I haven't found the way to put this into words yet. Mm -hmm. I'm still struggling with it. Um, I want to find a way to say in language that is not bound up with colonialism and empire thought and theology, yeah. what it means to live the community. Mm -hmm. um, I think maybe a few years ago, I would have said, what does it mean to live the kingdom? Because I've I've said numerous times that Jesus didn't talk about the kingdom of God or the rule of God. He taught from the community of God, from that empowering community. And I think that's what we're called to live. We're called to live into that kind of community. And I keep going back, Holly, to one of the first things I learned from Michael Morewood when I read those interviews of his back a year and a half or two years ago is that we have to rethink everything mm -hmm. in light of, um, I, I think, three things. And maybe these are the three things that might occupy several Sundays of our talking. We live, like it or not, in a post-colonial world. And uh, much of the pushback that you see going on right now about uh, voter restriction and transgender um, 
um, rules clamping down on transgender freedoms um, is, is an effort to exercise colonial thought and mindset. Again, white male folk religion needs to stay in charge and be in control. So our theology needs to move past colonialism. Our theology also needs to take into consideration the new scientific wisdom yeah. that um, evolutionary cosmology brings us. And, and, and that opens the door to the third thing is that we have an evo evolutionary imperative to live into um, and, and that causes us to rethink everything. And that evolutionary imperative means giving up on the notion that one, humans need rescuing mm -hmm. and that there's a God out there to rescue us. Um, or that we as white humans in this situated context need to rescue anyone else. <laughs> well, that's moving past post-colonialism. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that's that's hard for a people who have been the dominant power for hundreds of years to step into. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is something I've been writing through. So in our couple of weeks off, I've been able to attend to um, my comprehensive exam more sort of directly, uh, and it's around this idea of can those who have been in power either sort of just by birth alone or by presumed skin color, or by the powers that have been given to white folks in this country, can we conceive of liberation from the center? Can we decenter our thinking? <laughs> um, and it is very hard to be self-reflective on that when you're also in it not knowing what it looks like to not be in the center, you know, because the, the temptation is, well, I just want to pull everyone else in with me. But that may not be what everyone else wants to be. And I think that's that sort of like the trick we get into is that assimilation looks like, well, if you just do what I do, then you'll have the same benefits, privileges, and powers that I have, right? When in fact, actually, you or I did nothing to, to earn, deserve, or... Um, be given this, we just were born, you know? So it's, it's really hard to find that space of decentering our thinking and letting go of the notion that we did something to deserve where we are also requires that we let go of the notion that anyone else did something or didn't do something to deserve where they are didn't fit into some rule in society and so therefore still exists on the margins. So uh, there, there, I have two responses to that and forgive me for not being able to think of the name of the organization. It started in England, um, a, a group of psychologists formed an organization to bring groups into existence whose sole purpose was to study their own behavior in a group. So a group of people would come together with no rules other than they were committed to being together as a group for an extended period of time, hmm. say five days with appropriate whatevers. Mm -hmm. And they had to figure out how to function as a group and study their own behavior. 
It's a fascinating experience. Yeah. Because when you put people in a group, then you begin to see who vies for power, who makes the rules, who's in, who's out, how those decisions are made, and can we then talk about that? Uh, if we could step back and look at what's going on in American culture right now in the political arena, there is this huge struggle to make rules that really clearly defines who's got power and who doesn't, who's in and who's out, and who participates equally in the culture. I mean, that's, that's just, just, that's clearly what is going on. Yeah. And it's passing under the guise of uh, voter purity and voter integrity and all that sort of nonsense. But mm -hmm. it's really a struggle for power to yeah. stay in control. And it's done by people who have the power to make rules. Right. That the com in a compassionate lens on that um, is it's also done out of a struggle for belonging um, and a fear of not belonging. And on both, on both sides. Yeah. And, and on in everybody's part. And I think yeah. that the imagination around the center, if you will, and, and Enrique Dussel, who's a liberation philosopher says that the center is always the seat of power. Now the center can be can, there can be many centers. And in cosmology, we learn, oh, actually there's infinite centers. Everything is its own center, um, which may be absolute freedom. Maybe everything, everyone being their own center is in some way absolute freedom. I define me, you define you. I'm not competing for space, right? I don't know. It's one idea. Now, but in societies where we have centers and there's the center of sort of like who holds the power in our society and who doesn't. And there's lots of concentric circles. So even between white folks, it's white men are at the pinnacle of that center, white women just below that, right? And you can sort of see how that goes out in, in expanding circles. But the self-consciousness of the center is part of recognizing and being okay with the fact that we've actually not known what it's like to not be represented, to not walk into a space and just automatically assume that we are welcome there. Mm -hmm. And so that's so disruptive when the center walks into a peripheral space and doesn't feel welcome. It's disruptive to our sense of who we are. Mm -hmm. um, I, th I think it's also necessary because I think disruption is part of growth. Disturbance is part of expansion, right? But it's incredibly hard. I just, you know, I mean, it, 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 this fear of not belonging, this fear of walking into a space and not knowing the rules because the rules are shifting for some personalities makes them cling even harder and more fervently to the rules that they know. And so they do things like storm the Capitol. Right. Yeah. You know? Let me kind of back up and take a much more personal approach to this. Um, when we're, we're in this evolutionary we're on this evolutionary journey, right? So we're learning all the time, new things. And uh, I've used this illustration before. When I was trained as a psychologist, I was trained in a male 
patriarchal Freudian model of psychology. Um, the guys made the rules, guys were in charge. Um, it was, there were just assumptions made, for example, about a marriage and family structure, mm-hmm. patriarchal male, all that sort of stuff. And needless to say, white. And then along comes somebody like Gregory Bateson, mm-hmm. and uh, who is married, of course, to Margaret Mead, and they've made quite a pair. And so they they began to talk about this thing called ecology and mm-hmm. systems mm-hmm. and how things in systems affect each other. And um, there was this brilliant woman at the Philadelphia Child Guidance Center who came up with this way of understanding conflict and relationships. And she said, you know, married couples fight about five things. They fight about sex, money, uh, discretionary time, household chores, particularly around food, and outside friends and family, those things. And and then she began to realize that it was not that people fought about those things. Those things were the arenas in which other issues were dealt with. The primary issue being who's in charge. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Who's in charge of when we have sex? Who's in charge of planning the food? When we go out and get in the car to go somewhere, is it automatically assumed that somebody's going to drive? And where do those decisions come from? And who informs those decisions? And yes, it is not efficient to stop and look at that all the time, but it sure is effective Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to make sure that the flow of energy and authority is, is equally shared in any system. Is this working for us? And that's a question that's hard to ask as the group gets larger. Yeah, absolutely. The more sort of incoming information or input in the system, the less linear it gets, the less, you know, the the more complex and complex systems are, they work just like simple systems in terms of functionality. Some things can be let in that are safe, things that are not safe get, you know, like the permeable membrane of a simple organism, for example. But as it gets complex and there's more information coming in, it's harder and harder and harder to negotiate. You know, it's sort of like the system reboot. And we're in a bit of a system reboot because the rules, um, albeit they need to change. You know, we we need systems that are more inclusive, that ask these questions, these self-conscious questions. Who is missing here? Who is being left out? And, and I, I, w- I would say that it's not that the system needs to change. It does. There's no question yeah. about that. The system is changing. Yeah, that's, that that's is one of the said. That is one of the uh, evolutionary imperatives is that we recognize the system is changing with or without us. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> change is part of the evolutionary imperative. And so is complexity. Mm-hmm. And we can either embrace it and say, this is the way it is, or we can deny it and cause ourselves all sorts of trouble. Yeah. There's two things that happen in systems and even in um, develop the cosmological development um, when something is evolving. Um, it complexifies, as you just said, and it also differentiates, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, so it separates itself. We know who we are. I know I'm, Holly, because I'm not Bill, 
in this moment. I can identify myself on the screen because I know I'm not you. <laughs> so we we differentiate so that to sort of be able to specify ourselves in our situated context. But like that differentiation, there's the the, the sort of final component or third component of, of universe formation is communion. And that's where, you know, Teilhard talks about, you know, unity and diversity, not harmony, not um, necessarily, it, and unity is not sameness, um, you know, but unity and diversity respects the individuality, not individualism, but the individuality of all the organisms. But we're not there yet. You know, we're still in this really tense phase, I think, of differentiation and specification. Who am I compared to you? As opposed to who am I alongside you? Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. So we're calling what we're going to do Sunday, finding freedom mm -hmm. and being bound together. And, and one, one model that I have for this is um, a championship basketball team. Which one? The Bulls? Well, <laughs> whoever, whoever is at the top of the oh, okay. moment. Baylor, Baylor. Baylor, could be Baylor. Baylor. Yeah. I'm a Baylor yeah. bear. So Baylor That's right, won. you are. <laughs> um, in, in a really highly functioning basketball team, um, somebody is always in control of the ball, but that control is in service to a greater good. And that is making a point. Mm -hmm. If the person in charge of the ball seeks to hog the ball, the team loses. That I think is an apt metaphor for mm -hmm. how we need to go forward. Mm -hmm. We need to be aware of what, what are the things that we desperately need to address as a team, as a community, to win the game. Mm -hmm. And here you can talk about economic justice. You can talk about racial justice. You can talk about ecological um, dealing with climate change mm -hmm. in a way that benefits everybody. Or you can not do that and pay yeah. the consequences. Yeah, I think you know, what you just sort of illustrated with the basketball team analogy is a little bit what, um, what I'm trying to say about individualism compared to individuality, mm -hmm. right? Um, individuality on a team is really important. Bill is the historical Jesus scholar, the biblical scholar. Holly is maybe the, you know, more social context and kind of <laughs> one who brings in the, Absolutely. you know, who knows, <laughs> but it, you know, just kind of um, recognizing the individuality of each member without leaning into scarcity thinking. Well, if I can't do that, then I must not be as good as Bill. If I can't do a layup or a slam dunk, I must not be as good as Michael Jordan, but <laughs> which I'm not. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the point is, is that being able to express my individuality without fear of harm is freedom. Mm -hmm. But the individual only ever knows herself in community. So the community must uphold the right to individuality without dissecting into individualism. Mm -hmm. You know? 
So I just had this thought. I have uh, been at St. Paul's for uh, 30 years now through uh, into my fourth senior pastor mm-hmm. there. Gosh. And um, I can remember saying to each one of them across the years, I have a commitment that you be a success. Because the senior pastor's success is vital to my own success. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the things that has marked the success of St. Paul's, and I got this lesson directly from um, Jim Bankston. The first time I heard him say it, I just went, that's it. He, he, he's the boss. He's the senior guy, right? At the time he was. And I, I was with him in a social setting where he introduced himself this way. He said, hi, I'm Jim Bankson. I'm one of the pastors at St. Paul's. Mm. He said that as the senior pastor. Yeah. I think that there's some really beautiful humility and strength in that. Uh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. What, how do we, um, how do we put skin and bones on this imperative to find freedom by being bound to each other? Yeah. How do we do that? That's, that, I think that's our most daunting theological, spiritual task Mm -hmm. is to figure out practical ways to live into this community. Yeah. This, this guy that I've, been reading um, some of Robert Burt. He's um, kind of a philosopher, theologian, and author. He wrote, first of all, he goes on about the sort of transcendence of being, of, mm-hmm. of, of the body, but also saying, this is a quote, our freedom and hence our very being is an active relation of self to others and the world. Freedom. <laughs> and belonging and oh, that yeah, yeah that that non-duality is you know I, I think if if I could say what is a question I have for us as we leave this podcast it would be what is a struggle in doing that for you personally and I'm I would I'll answer that as well um I'll answer it by saying to try and observe myself and my community from outside of where it is, from mm-hmm. outside of the center. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I come back to um, the, the Ruby Cells question mm. and say that I think that one of the ways I can do that is by asking my sisters and brothers, where do you hurt? Mm-hmm and uh, paying very, very close attention. Maybe first of all, creating a context where that person could speak the truth to me and without mm-hmm. fear and really tell me what's going on. Yeah. Oh, uh, we all hurt. Mm-hmm. We all are frightened. Um, we're all in this together alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it is. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, 
So if know? people if people uh, tune in on Sunday, mm-hmm. they're going to get some um, some theology. Uh, get introduced to two two new um, books mm-hmm. that I'm recommending. Um, and and we are going to camp out on this um, this particular phrase in the Lord's Prayer for a few weeks, I think. Yeah, it's got a lot of richness, um, starting with deconstructing substitution <laughs> for my sins, right? Substitutionary atonement. So thanks for joining us today and we'll see you on Sunday.